You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. So for the last few weeks, uh, we've met here as a body of believers um, and gathered to worship. And even before COVID happened, this was the rhythm for many of us in our lives. Sunday is a day where, where we gather together, where we sing, we enjoy fellowship with one another. We are fed by the rich food of God's word. But there are many places around the world where this does not happen. For some people, it's because they are persecuted by an oppressive government. But for many others, this does not happen because the gospel has not been brought to this place yet. It has not been preached among these groups of people. And God, our God, is not yet receiving glory from these dark places in the corners of the earth. So what I want us to see today in our passage is that God deserves glory, and he will have it. He will receive worship from the nations, as Steve read for us in Revelation 7. And in his wisdom, he has ordained that we, we his people, have an integral role in bringing the gospel to the nations. So I want us to be, to consider, to be captured by God's desire for global worship. I want to encourage us to think and to live with our eyes beyond the four walls of our church and to have our eyes on the nations. So with that, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, and it will be displayed on the screen as well. Psalm 67. Listen as I read the word of God. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. The main point I want to get across to all of you today is that God blesses us so that we may in turn bless the nations. God blesses us so that we may in turn bless the nations. And we'll have three points in our message today, following the flow of the text here. So first is our global petition. Second is our global exhortation. And third is our global declaration. Global petition, exhortation, and declaration. So let's start in the first point. Global petition, and this is in verse 1 and 2. So if we look at verses 1 and 2, for those of us that have read our Bibles, this prayer is, is, should be quite familiar. We see that in verse 1, it echoes Aaron's priestly blessing in Numbers Six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace. And and sometimes we hear this as a benediction at the end of our service, a very fitting one. 
And what we see here is that the blessing of God is mediated to the people of Israel by priests, by Aaron. And the blessing in Numbers is very similar to the petition, the request that is asked for in verse one here. So if we look at our text, it's, it's asking God to be, to be gracious, to show mercy to his people. The request for, for blessing is, to, is for God to give good gifts to his people and ultimately the gift of his presence. And to ask for God's face to, to shine is to ask God to look upon his people, to take notice of their needs and to care for them. So put together the request, the request is this, God, act according to your good character. Continue to be a gracious, a merciful, and a good God who generously blesses his people. Now, if we know that the nation of Israel experienced, experienced much blessing from God. He, he delivered them from slavery. He entered into a covenant relationship with them, calling them his own people. They were the people of the living God. He provided for them in their desert wanderings. He fed them with manna and with quail and provided water out of the desert. He dwelt, he dwelt among his people in the holy of holies. And whenever the Lord was with them, they had success in battle and their kingdom continued to expand. So Israel, they constantly saw the answer to this prayer for blessing. But in our psalm, the stream of blessing, it doesn't stop at God's chosen people. We see that the scope of blessing is expanded. There is now a purpose to the petition. So look with me at verse two. So verse one, the request, may God do these things, may God be gracious, bless us, make his face to shine upon us. Then it says, that, in order that, the purpose, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. See, see the, all, the all-encompassing target of blessing, the earth, all nations. And the nations, they, ref, they don't refer to, to political entities or kingdoms marked off by borders, but they refer to distinct groups of people that have their own culture and their own language. So even here in the Psalms, we see God's global heart for the nations. His desire is for his salvation to be known among all 17,446 people groups in this world. Now we see that this, this prayer is in line with God's purpose for blessing Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, I will bless you, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing to others. And Israel's purpose was the same. We see in Exodus 19 that after God delivers them out of Egypt, he appoints Israel that they would be a kingdom of priests, kingdom of priests and a holy nation. As they, as they traveled the land, as they conquered the land, as they lived in light of God's law, they would mediate God's blessing to the surrounding peoples. They would show the pagan nations who did not worship God what it was like to live in relation to a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, a covenant-keeping God. And the blessing of God would attract the nations to see and know the goodness of God. 
Now, for us who live in the New Testament age as Christians, we see the answer to this prayer, the blessing of God on a much higher level. God has been gracious to us, choosing us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. He has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside us. We now behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ is the light of the world, and whoever follows him has the light of life, eternal life and communion with the living God. And not only has the nation of Israel come to know God, but we all who are in Christ have come to know God's saving power in Christ. Eternal life for those who were once dead in their sins is, is, this is what Galen read for us in John 17, knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom God has sent. And he has granted us the gift, the gift of participating in his global plan of redemption by heralding his gospel of grace. But it is not enough for the nations to know these things. There must be a response to truth, to knowledge about God. Our own, our own services are, are structured this way. We have the word, we have truth, and we respond in song. And this brings us to our second point. So we have our global petition, and now in verses three to five, we have our global exhortation. So we see that from our text, blessing from God and knowledge of God produces praise to God. Listen to what John Boyes says about this passage. This is what he says. Mark the sweet order of the blessed spirit. First, mercy, then knowledge. Last of all, praising of God. We cannot see his countenance, his face, except he be merciful to us. And we cannot praise him except his way be known upon earth. His mercy breeds knowledge and his knowledge praise. So here we see, we see the Israelites exhorting the nations to praise God. If you look at verses three and five, they're exactly the same. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And again, we see, we see the worldwide theme here, the earth, all nations, and here all peoples. And the way the text is arranged, you can imagine two groups of singers saying the same thing and focusing all their praise upon a central idea. That's what we see in verse four. Praise is to be directed to the one true God, not all the local deities that the pagan nations worship. But the question is, why, why should the pagan nations and peoples who are not in a covenant relationship with God, why should they praise him? Why should they fear him? And we see this answer, the reason for this, in verse four. So look with me in verse four. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then we have the reason, two reasons actually. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. So what is spoken of here, it's, it's not a general claim about world affairs, about how the world is going on now, but about how God characteristically reigns. During the time of Israel and even now in our day, justice did not and it does not prevail among the nations. 
Now at that time, Israel, they could rejoice in all these truths. They were in a relationship with God who was just. He was not cruel or petty like the, the gods of the nations. He delivered his people from slavery and then he gave them laws that reflected his good and loving character. We see that the socially marginalized, they were, they were cared for. Punishments were enacted in proportion to the crime that was committed. And Israel was in a covenant relationship with the God who was and continues to be sovereign. From the time of, of Abraham up until the time of, of David when the psalm was written and even beyond, he was always guiding his wayward people. But the nations, they do not serve a sovereign and a just God. The nations praising and rejoicing in God would be a future reality. So what we see then is as the Israelites were to sing this song, they would wait expectantly for the day when the nations would also join them in praise to their God. Now with the life, the death, and resurrection of Christ, this prayer begins to be a reality. Through the preaching of the gospel and the gift, the gift of the completed Old and New Testament, the Bible, the non-Jewish people such as us came to see that God was indeed just. He does not sweep sin under the rug. He does not demand a bribe like a corrupt dictator would. He does not just pardon guilt, but he demands justice for every single disobedience against his perfect and holy law. Now, any wrong done against the true God, the one true God of the universe, deserves only one punishment. Any punishment for rebellion against the king, against treason, is punishable by death. And at the cross, he's, Jesus satis God satisfied his justice by having Jesus die on the cross and pay the price, the penalty for sin on behalf of rebels like us. In Christ, we see God's sovereign plan of redemption for the nations exact and enacted once and for all. And the Apostle Paul, when he, when he sees in Romans 11, when he sees God's sovereignty and justice in saving both Jew and Gentile, he can't help but burst out in praise. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And the nations can now begin to say, finally, a just ruler, finally, a good and kind and merciful shepherd king who will guide us. Praise be to God. And in our time, this is happening. We ourselves gathered here are evidence of it. But the full reality pictured here has yet to come. Pastor John Piper, he wrote a, a book many years ago with a title that is inspired by this psalm, by verse 4. It's called, Let the Nations Be Glad. And one of his most referenced quotes, it comes from this book. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Today, there is still a need for cross-cultural missions because not all the peoples of the world worship our God. Of the 17,446 people groups in the world, more than 7,000 either have not heard the gospel 
or they need outside assistance to reach their own people group with the good news of Jesus. That's more than 40%. That's three billion people that are created in the image of God that have not had the chance to hear the gospel. People like the Kurds in Turkey, people like the Bambara people in Africa or the Hui people in China, they do not know that they are not righteous, not even one of them. They do not know that they have fallen short of the glory of God and their penalty is death. How, Paul asked, how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And who will bless them with the gospel? What we see is that not all the nations rejoice in God's righteous rule and in his sovereignty. They have yet to render praise to him and delight in him as we ourselves do. God is not yet being glorified among almost half of the people groups in the world. But we know, we know, as Steve just read for us in Revelation 7, that one day this will happen. And this brings us to our third point, our global declaration. Our global declaration. So we see this in verses 6 and 7. So like the previous stanza, like the previous uh, three verses in our psalm, these last couple verses have a present and also a future element. In Israel's time, God made it clear that his blessing on the land depended on their fear of him, their reverence for him and his word. And even though work was a chore, the ground was cursed and would have thorns and thistles, God still chose to bless the land in connection with his people's obedience. This is what we read in Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26, verse 3 and 4. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase. Same phrasing as used in our psalm. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And if we were to read further in Leviticus, the curses for disobedience, we would see that God would withhold the rains for their disobedience. Now, if God provided for his people, then the surrounding nations would see that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is a deity who is able to care for his people. But if God withheld the rain because of Israel's disobedience, if their fields had no harvest, if there were no crops, if there was no way to feed the people, then that would put Israel and Yahweh to shame in front of the nations. Why, why would the nations, the ends of the earth, fear a God who cannot even provide for his people? Even we today, we, we lose respect for people who are unable or unwilling to provide the basic necessities for their families. But as we know, if we read the story, Israel kept disobeying. The ground would still be cursed because of sin, and the nations continued to disobey God. But despite this, in our psalm, there is confidence. There is confidence. It says in verse 6, God, our God, shall bless us, will surely bless us. What we see is the, the faithful Israelite making God their own. And as we see already, God's people had already seen throughout their history that God had indeed blessed them. 
Now we, now, we can, now we know that you know, God may have led them to wander. God may have allowed them to be attacked by other nations. He, may even, he even allowed many of his people to be killed. But all along, the God of steadfast love and faithfulness had shown his favor upon his people and blessed them. Their experience of God's blessing in the past gave them faith and hope for God's blessing and care in the future. So what we see here is a faith-filled declaration that mirrors the petition in the first two verses. There will surely come a day when an Eden-like earth will coincide with all the peoples fearing God. And even in our day, in our day, we sing this in faith as well. We are seeing more and more people, more and more people groups being reached with the good news of the gospel. But as we just heard, thousands still remain that have yet to fear the Lord. But we have confidence that what God has decreed will come to pass. We are promised in Romans 8 that this earth itself will be renewed. The groaning will cease. It will be set free from its groaning and bondage to corruption. It will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Listen to what Edward Bickersteth says about this verse here in the Psalms. This is what will happen. The fruits of righteousness will abound from the human race to the glory of God. Much praise, much zeal, much reverence, much humility will distinguish his servants. Faith, hope, and love will all be in the fullest exercise. Christ will be all in all, and every power will be consecrated to him. This is the best increase the earth yields to God. We have the promise that God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The devil may corrupt political leaders. He may tempt individuals with earthly pleasures and he may even kill those who bear witness to the gospel. But he cannot stop the advance of the gospel to the nations. God's redeemed saints will represent every nation, tribe, people, and language who will rejoice in his great salvation. They will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so we, today, we confidently declare that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We declare that the earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We proclaim that the nations will live in the new heavens and new earth and God will dwell among us. And King Jesus, one day, he will sit on his throne and rule with justice and righteousness and we will join with the ends of the earth to fear him and worship him forever. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're sitting here and you're not yet a Christian, how will you respond? How will you respond to truth, to knowledge about God and about yourself? You've heard that God wants the nations, God wants you to know his saving power because there is a need for you to be saved from something. A lifeguard, we see, does not jump into, a, into the water unless someone is drowning. And right now for you, the fact that God judges the people, judges you with equity, 
It should be a terrifying thought for you. If God were to judge you right now based on what you have thought and what you have done in light of his holiness, he would justly, justly condemn you to an eternity in hell for your sinful thoughts and your actions. This is an eternity of of torment, a place devoid of a place without the blessing and favor of God. But today you have heard of God's saving power. Jesus, the sinless, has paid the penalty of death for sin. He has satisfied the demands of justice in the eyes of God. And for those who turn from their sin and trust in what Jesus has accomplished for sin, God as a righteous judge becomes wonderful news. Instead of looking at your sin, God sees Jesus' righteousness in your place. His righteousness becomes yours. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that there is therefore no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today you have heard the good news, the good news of the gospel. At a feast or at, 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 at a dinner, endlessly smelling the food will do you no good. It's actually probably torture if you've ever tried it. But to enjoy it, to show gratitude to the host, you take a bite. And I pray that for those of you who are not yet a Christian, that God would give you the gift, give you the gift of repentance and faith to turn from sin and turn to Christ for your salvation and for your eternal joy. And for those of us who are in Christ, who, who delight, who rejoice in a just and a sovereign God who has redeemed us. How do we respond to the truths in this psalm? Let me give you three ways. So first, dare, dare to be a blessing. Dare to be a blessing. When we see, when we see that God has indeed, he's blessed each one of us, specifically as individuals and as a church, then we must take on the posture of this psalm. A pipe's purpose is, is, to, is to channel the water, not to have all the water collect in it. The blessings that God has poured out on us richly in Christ are meant for us to bless the nations. So dare, dare to live out the gospel. In these, in these days, it might be difficult because we aren't seeing as many of our unbelieving coworkers and friends but one way we could do this in light of, of what's happening is to, to ask your friends or even your coworkers. Many people, many of us are experiencing anxiety, fear of the future. We can ask our friends or coworkers, can I, can I pray for you? Can I take my trust in a good and sovereign God and display for them in a small but meaningful way what the gospel is? And dare not only to live out the gospel, to to share the gospel, to to be a beggar that has found bread, as Pastor Josh always says, and to share the bread that we have found, the bread of life, with those who need it. Give a reason, especially in these days, for the hope that is in us. We We may risk relationships, we may risk not knowing the words to say, we may risk um people making fun of us for what we believe, but we know that as we are heralds of the gospel, we are not the ones saving. 
We are just bearers of the message, and we allow the Holy Spirit to work on the hearts of people. So dare, dare to be a blessing. Second, live as a global-minded disciple. Live as global-minded disciples. To be a disciple of, of Jesus is to have his heart for the nations become ours. And, and there are several ways that we can cultivate our hearts and minds to think globally for the sake of the gospel. So we can en- engage in global-minded learning. As you read, as you read your Bible, take, take a note with a notebook or, or highlight every time you see God's desire for global worship or for the nations to know him. And you might be surprised at how much, how much you find. The, the, a few months ago, I was reading through the book of Ezekiel. I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a prophet, lots of judgment. But what I, what I found time and time again is that God does something so that the nations would know that I am the Lord. This will happen, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. That is God's desire. You can read, read missionary biographies. Be captivated by how God used people like, like Amy Carmichael, like Adoniram Judson, Lottie Moon, David Livingstone, William Carey, to bring the gospel to the nations. Get familiar with what God is doing outside of Ontario and outside of Canada. You know, you can check out Sovereign Grace's mission arm, the Emerging Nations. They, they, have a, they have a regular update of what's going on in different Sovereign Grace churches around the world. You can see how gospel-centered local churches are being planted in countries like, like Pakistan or in Ethiopia or the Philippines. Engage in global-minded prayer. You can pick up a copy of, of Operation World or look online at, at the Joshua Project to be informed on how to pray specifically for the nations. They have gathered statistics of of. Uh, where in different parts of the world there are the least reached peoples, what are their needs, what is their current state of evangelism, so it can be a fuel, a resource to help us pray through the nations. When you order takeout, pray, begin to pray for the nation that the food represents. We can be praying that the Lord would send workers, as we read in, in Matthew 9, send workers into his harvest field, not only in our community, but to the world. And we can be praying for, praying for our own missionary sent out from, from our own church, Rachel Parento, who's up there. Pray for her to be a bold witness for Christ as she helps to establish a church among one of the schemes in Scotland. And one more way to cultivate a global heart is to engage in global-minded discipling. Global-minded discipling. And I want to direct this specifically, specifically to the parents. So if you're a parent, God has filled your quiver with arrows that are your children. But have you considered that they may be shot out to a different target than you had imagined or even planned? The assumption can be like, for, for like most people, that they will, they will grow up to have a good career here in Bradford, Bradford or in Markham or Toronto or, or wherever you are living. And as your children near the end of high school, the advice is always, you know, keep your options open. Keep the doors open. And I wonder, is being a cross-cultural vocational ministry, is it a worthy or, or encouraged option as a vocation for your children? 
So parents, expose, expose your children to missionary stories. Children can only be inspired by what they are exposed to. A couple, a couple Sundays ago, we were, we were outside after the service, um, and I saw Ethan Tong, Josh, uh, Pastor Josh's oldest son. He was carrying around a case of books, and inside were many stories of different missionaries. And he came up to me and said, hey, do you want to borrow one? I'm like, thanks, buddy. Um, but I found it wonderful that even as he is reading many books, and he, he's a big reader, as he's reading many other stories, he is also being inspired by the great missionaries of the past. Parents, among all the other prayers for your children, consider praying the bold prayer that God would use your children or even send your children to reach the nations for Christ. And at the same time, pray for your own heart to have the fearless heart of Hannah who released Samuel in faith for service to the Lord. I myself, I'm, I'm grateful for the prayers um, of my mother, since, since I was young, she continually prayed for, for her two sons, for my brother and I, um, that we would be missionaries or pastors one day. And her posture, her posture was that her children were not her own, were never her own. God gave her children to steward for a season. And when God called them to his service, she would simply be giving them back to him. And I would say in, in, in some ways her prayers have been answered. My, as some of you know, my, my brother and his wife, they are church planters um, among the Arab nations. And Joanne and I, we, we yearn to one day be involved, in, involved long-term in church planting overseas and the training of church planters. I know in, in some part is because of the faithful prayers of my mother. So dare to count your blessings, live as a global-minded disciple, and lastly, be ready to go. Be ready to go. We know that, we know that the world is not our home. We await a heavenly one as sojourners. But we should also think of ourselves as sojourners in, in another sense. We can think and we can plan well as we should to establish homes and provide for our families here and, and bless our surrounding community. But should God call us to leave our homeland as he did to Abraham, would we be ready? What or who would hold you back? What would make it difficult to say like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me? We always say that the, the pastor should um, or the preacher should obey the demands of the passage before um, delivering it to the congregation. And the thought of being ready to go, it's been a struggle for Joanne and I. As I mentioned, we, we hope to one day be involved in, in bringing the gospel overseas. And if some of you know our story, we met on a year-long mission trip where we served together in the same team. And our desire has been to go back long-term. And we, 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 actually, um, we actually planned to be overseas by, by this year. But we've seen, we've seen that the Lord has led us, graciously led us in another direction. He has brought us to be part of, of this church where we can grow and serve with people that we love and people that we are growing to know. But we've had to balance, we've had to, we've had to balance the blessing of being part of 
this church, of loving where we are with our desire to go. We've had to balance being faithful with what's in front of us, with what God has placed in front of us, with, wanting to, with trying, to, trying to keep the fire of wanting to see the nations reached warm and hot. So what does, what does being ready actually look like? What does being ready look like? It could be asking for friends to, to pray for you as you meditate more on today's message. There are, there's some hard truths and, and, and um, ideas that, that have been shared today. It could look like aiming to, to pay off your, your mortgage or, or your student loans a little quicker than you normally would so that debt might not be such a big barrier to moving should the Lord calls. It could look like being very careful with your, with your spending and, and acquiring possessions, not that they are bad in and of themselves. And, and Joanne has, has, has helped, helped our family be, um, keep this in mind. Every time we buy a, a, a major item or an item that would take space, her first question is, is always, you know, will we be able to bring this overseas? Will we be able to, is this gonna uh, make it difficult to get rid of um, if, if God gives us an opportunity to go overseas? But ultimately, ultimately, it's developing a submissive posture of the heart to God. It is praying like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not your will, but not my will, but your will be done. So let's all be, be, be ready, be eager, whenever and wherever the Lord calls us to be a blessing to the nations. Join me in prayer. Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us as you already have. You would continue to bless us as you already have in Christ and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among the nations. Would you be pleased to use our, our little church here in Bradford to be a blessing to the nations in many ways. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.